What's up, everybody, and welcome into Pace the Nation, broadcasting from Studio 1A here in downtown Arlington, Virginia. Here we are in the heart of Arlington County. It's Clarendon, of course. I'm your host, Chris Farley, back again for episode number 107. Exciting episode to get to today. And with us, of course, to my right, it's Joanna E. Russo. Joanna, what's up? 107. Just like the temperature outside. <laughs> it is. We're we're in the heart of Arlington County, maybe the heart of the summer here as we sit in May, middle of May, May 17th. The center of the universe is very hot. Yeah, it is. Very true. Good point. I uh, also want to welcome in our other co-hosts to my left. It's William E. Docs. Docs, what's up? How long until you stop doing temperature jokes? <laughs> I don't know. It's 106. Yeah. It's 105. Yeah. It's 104. That's probably. Oh, it's getting cooler. That's good. It's yeah, probably going to last. I'm just going back through the uh, episode Rolodex. Yeah, it's probably going to last uh, at least, I would say, until August. But Joanna did proclaim before we came on the air here, Docs, that she's not going to let the weather dictate her mood, uh, the way she does her runs. Her attitude this uh, 2017 summer. True. Well, is, she, is she following your lead uh, with the sports not dictating your mood? <laughs> well, it's hopeful. Hopefully, she can follow through a little better than I can. I hope so yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, but am, is that is that true, Joanna? Or was that just a fleeting comment that won't uh, hold any water or hold any weight as we get? warmer and warmer and warmer oh i don't want to think that far into the future but yes this is a summer that i'm not going to let summer win awesome okay all right we're gonna i'll hold you to that and uh good thing um for me with the washington sports teams uh we sit here may 17th may 18th actually may 18th uh we've got no real washington sports until uh the nationals blow it in the uh, in the fall, so but it, the Wizards did have a good run. I mean, they're a young team; they're yeah. still getting their legs. They yeah. they they played well. Good analysis. Yeah. I like your I like your analysis. Um, but it, yeah, the Celtics just do Game Seven. That's I'm not like, historically speaking what they uh, what they can another, do. Wow, I'm impressed. None of it, Larry Bird's not on this team. I, I this this his, the historically thing, and they they do this in college football as well. It's like you're talking about people that aren't on the, that weren't on the team. You True. Know? Like there's no Kevin Garnett. There's no Ray Allen. Those guys have nothing to do with the guys now. But well, you, Avery Bradley was on the same team with the Big Three. And well, can you Rondo. give her some credit for? I mean, dropping these these kind of nuggets. I can't believe that she's actually dialed in with that. Because you are right. The Celtics have been historically. Uh, pretty good in Game Sevens, so got to give her credit for at least knowing that, Doc. But I think that that's one of the worst things in sports is like saying that these guys that have nothing to do right. with people that are playing today and throwing that in there. No the f- offense, Joanna. The fact no, no, that no. she knows who Avery that's, Bradley that's is, my, I'm just that's shocked. My pet I don't know who Avery Bradley is, but that <laughs> is my pet peeve in sports. Well, I will agree with that. Like when when people say like, oh, well, the Celtics always do well in Game Seven. It's like, well, this team is different than all of the other teams right. that have come before. They don't but, even have the same coach. Yeah, but I think when you're speaking of the franchise, there's a lot of history behind the Celtics, and in the in that culture of the Celtics, the team recognizes that like they've always been clutch sev- game seven players. So I think that they come through because of these cultural Something and historical. To Something to yeah. it. I think that the Wizards get there and they just think, oh, here we go again. And when it starts going bad, they know this no. is what's expected. No, this is this what is, we do. This is part of the growing process for John Wall. And he had to go through this. Michael Jordan was not good in his first few years in the playoffs. 
You just got to figure that out. You need the experience. Well, I don't want to make it a Washington sports show today, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I will say I like your optimism, but it's there's no silver lining. I, I, these people who are saying that, oh, the Wizards had a good run, like Joanna just said, or that John Wall is evolving and you know okay. putting himself. It's over. It's over. Do you understand? They're paying Jan Mahimi. Sixteen million dollars. That's going to strap them salary wise. No, they're not. paying the salary cap's huge now. It, well, they're paying uh, March and Gortat. They're paying twenty eight million dollars a year for their center position, and they get nothing out of okay. the center position. All right, now I'm now I'm going to uh, completely oh, do a one eighty. Okay. And say that uh, maybe there is something to what you're saying about the the franchise historically yeah. uh, performing because of the fans. No the fans. Yes. Yes. No. The fans, Ernie Gun- yes. Grunfeld. Listen. listen let me finish. N- nincompoop. Okay. Let go me ahead. finish. The fans in Boston. I just said nincompoop. Right. Go the ahead. fans in Boston can will their team to a win with the with the energy people feed off of the crowd. Agreed. And the Washington sports fans are such fair weather, Beaten terrible. Down. No, but but I mean, like you you gotta believe, but they don't. Every and 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 you can feel that tension and that negative energy also bleeds into the team. It's been I would totally so agree with that. 180 degrees. Yeah, when you're in when you're in a Boston sports arena, I mean that like to be in TD Garden, the energy is completely uh, yeah. different than being in the Rising. Well, Center. we've been beaten down. We have not made a conference final. We've not made the final four of yeah. any of the major four yeah. sports, hockey, basketball, football, or baseball, right. in 20 years. Right. And in the last that, 20 years, Boston's made it 24 times with their the teams. But the point is, part of that is Zero to 24. Well, also, when you go to the fans. But when you go to the part of it, not all of it. Yeah, not all of it is the fans. But when you go to Boston, I mean, how, how many people do you see dressed head to toe in sports gear yeah. Well, yeah, like that's, the, that's obnoxious to grow up boston <laughs> you're but, right but they're totally about their teams are they, and even are if, they 13 and under no grow up but even if you're not even like i feel like my friends who maybe don't even really care about professional sports have like tons of celtics gear or yes patriots have I, just because I, when you grow up in that culture it is it's such a big it's part ingrained of it in you i agree and dc is still a young city when it comes to major it's sports transient teams. though yeah. i mean but it's not it's becoming less transient true. so that's why i think like the wizards are gaining traction because people are well it's are not people like William E. Docks who grows up here and doesn't root for didn't the grow Washington. up here well you basically you went to high school here you so should oh, I, I think that uh, you should root for the home teams dude I do root for the home teams. you don't those you root for DC United that's <laughs> you it don't, you yeah because because the MLS came in to play when I was here living in the DC area and so this was a new team uh, while right. I was living here, right? You don't change sports you allegiances. You do. No, you, you should. Don't. No, that's terrible. We have friends who have. Yeah, and they shouldn't do that. That's terrible. You can't change sports allegiances. I that's disagree. a number one rule. It's no, a, you you disagree because you want me to vote. You want me to root for the Washington teams. I do. If if I if I was rooting for the Washington teams and I moved to Philadelphia, you'd call me a traitor if I started rooting <laughs> for the Philadelphia teams. You, you're just making a conditional argument. All right. We're gonna to have to table this. We got an exciting show to get to. Um, I don't know what, when we're gonna get back to this, or if anybody wants us to get back to this. But <laughs> I, I'm starting to I'm starting to get kind of heated. Uh, so I'm going to take a deep breath and give you guys the agenda on today's program. Exciting show to get to today. Big show to get to today. We've got Joe Awkward who's joining us today. He's a local runner who is visually impaired. 
He ran in the 2004 Athens Paralympics. I think it's called the, the Paralympic Games in, in Athens. Uh, so he's going to talk to us about uh, that experience, his running. He's, he's a local runner, runs half marathons, training for a marathon right now. Really inspiring guy. He's going to join us today on the program. Uh, also, just to totally pull back the curtain, um, I actually think the uh, opening was, was appropriate because not a lot of other running talk. I was inspired by Doc's last week sharing his personal story of his window getting broken. So I've got a couple personal stories to share. Uh, Joanna, I know, has one, and maybe we can even uh, twist Doc's arm to share something else as well today. So we've got Joe, and we've got some personal stories. I think that's a great show. We haven't recorded it yet. What do you know? <laughs> All right. Well, well, mark my words. It's a great show. And we're going to start it off next with Joe Awkward. He's going to join us here on Pace the Nation. All right, welcome back to the program. And now, Joanna and Docs, we are excited to be joined by, on the phone, Joe Awkward. He is a local runner who's visually impaired, and he competed in the 2004 Paralympic Games. Really excited to have Joe join us. Joe, how are you? Good to have you. Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. And um, we were connected, uh, you know, through Charlie Band, um, and and you, you had been a local runner competing in a lot of local races and uh, also through Steve Nearman who um, you know set up a, a number of, of pretty cool races uh, or, or the Wilson Bridge Half Marathon which was for visually impaired runners right? Yes absolutely yeah Steve's uh, he's just been a, a wonderful positive uh, advocate for Runners with disabilities, including uh, those with blind and vision impaired runners, he uh, Steve stepped up um, and made sure that the Wilson Bridge Half, uh, which many blind runners have competed in since their first year, uh, there's there is a division within the race for blind and vision impaired athletes from uh, not only the region but around the, the country to compete in, and that's the uh, the the national championship in the half marathon division. Yeah, and I think it's really cool what Steve did. Really, I think opened the eyes for the local community that um, you know there's a lot of uh, of you guys out there who are pretty competitive, right? Well, yeah, I, I like to believe so. Yes, um, the, the the exciting thing about running um, that I would say, and I've I've had the benefit of having sight for probably seventy five percent of my life. I I lost my sight gradually over a long period of time due to a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. But I guess the good news for me is I learned at a very young age the, the mechanics of running and, and how to run. And as I lost my sight gradually into my late 30s, um, the, the act of running itself, if you think about it, is kind of like the sightless thing. You can do it, relax your body, relax your arms, relax your legs. Now, obviously, the, the, the really important part is to have a guide runner and I, I like to call them selfless patriots uh, because, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because really, these are, are, are very gifted runners in their own right. And obviously, every guide runner is faster than the, the individual they're guiding. Right. So, um, because they, there is the, the element of, of uh, the, the audio. Basically, what they're doing is they're the eyes of the, the blind runner 
during the race itself. Uh, but uh, someone like Steve Nierman, he, uh, you know, a very competitive runner himself and nationally age group runner for, for many decades now. Um, but he also got the only way that blind vision care runners and, and all individuals with disabilities are going to stay and remain competitive is they have a chance to compete in races, competitive races, and within themselves. So he stepped up and sponsored um, a blind division, which is becoming, uh, there are more races now than there used to be before Steve started with the Wilson Bridge half. Right. But, uh, so I'm, I'm very grateful to, to folks like Steve and other uh, guide runners out there who have stepped up. Um, I, I like to say, you know, I, I don't compete in any races unless I have a guide runner. So if, without a guide runner, I'm, you know, I, I could run on a treadmill, but I, I cannot compete in a race. So I like to feel it's a, it's a huge honor to be able to, to compete in the races and at the same time have the guide runners, you know, with us. So do you always run with the same guide runner or do you have different people that you race with? Right. That's a great question, Joanna. Um, I, I have, um, usually they, they recommend you have more than one guide runner, uh, just for logistics sake. Um, usually what you'll do is you'll have guide runners that can, uh, you know, do certain functions. When, it, when I was able to compete in Athens, I, I did a, a, a local runner. His name is Daniel Will. He was a, a, a sprinter, and he and I worked together. Um, Steve Nierman and I run by the middle distance events, and for the distance events, I've kind of seeked out uh, Brian Height, um, Richard Kingeel, and a few others. So to answer your question, uh, usually it, it helps to have more than one, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a lot of reasons. Probably the biggest reason is, you know, obviously just to plan it out, um, obviously you're running with someone who is also likely a competitive runner themselves, and you want to, you know, be have something where you can kind of work out timing. Uh, usually it, it helps if we might say, uh, Joanne, we practice, you know, you know, maybe it's Sunday mornings I may run with someone, maybe, uh, you know, a, a Friday afternoon I may run with someone, that, that kind of thing. I, I'm curious, how do you get hooked up with a guide runner, and what are your expectations from that runner when you're, when you're sure. racing and training? Right. So, Doc, that's a great question. Um, there, I, I will tell you, there, there are, now there are different uh, sites you can go in and request guide runners, but I have to be very candid. The best way of doing it is just visually, just one-on-one talking to runners about asking them if they would like to be a guide runner. Um, so the way that works is I've always approached other, sometimes other competitors, athletes. That's uh, Steve Nerman and I. That's how we first got linked up. I've also gone through some of the local running communities. Um, the Montgomery County Roadrunners were very helpful. Um so a lot of it is literally just engaging as the blind runner, putting yourself out there and saying, usually I'll, I'll join a club or an organization and I will start running within that organization. And, and usually just by doing that, you'll get synced up. Um, um, it, it's a great question you're asking because um, guide running does require an individual to be first very selfless because when they're running, they're actually running the race for the, the blind runner. They're not running their own race that day. Um, so usually you do want someone um, that wants to come forward and, and volunteer. Um, usually what we'll do is I will talk in advance about the race. Um, the expectations usually we'll, we'll talk about 
uh, the, 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 really the, the basic is a description of the course itself, and we stay with only what's right in front of me as the blind runner. Um, so in other words, say if we're running on the track and I'm running in lane four, um, if something's happening out in lane eight or in the infield, the, 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 the guide runner won't even bring that up because that doesn't mm. affect me at all. However, if I'm you know, running a Pacers 10K and I, I, there's somebody five feet immediately ahead of us or someone on our right you know, getting ready to pass us or, or someone on our left, the, the guide runner will be telling me all of that information. And so, uh, you know, things like curb cuts, making sharp turns, going around cones, things like that. So they're describing it. Um, so it's, a, it's communication, but we keep it um, kind of to the basics. Um, so that, but it is a great question, Doc, because um, most experiences, uh, I've been very blessed. I've had great experiences. Um, if you don't set those expectations, um, I've never had a bad experience with a guide runner. Um, I have had a few of my competitors have had bad experience, but it was only because they hadn't set the right expectations. Um, I'll give you just one quick example. Um, back in, um, when we did, I did the Chicago Marathon in 1997, and at that point, there were about 10 of us blind runners. And so a marathon is 26 miles and we all got a preferred start. So we were all out there together within the first five minutes. I heard someone breathing very heavy. And I said, I was running with Marine. I said, Marine, who, who is that? He said, Joe, you're not going to believe this. The guide runner for uh, the blind runner is breathing really heavy and he's struggling. Oh, no. <laughs> and Yeah. So it was a disaster. In the um, first five minutes? Was, yes, yes. Of a 26-mile race. Which hmm. is phenomenal. So right. what happened was within the first mile, um, now this gentleman had some sight. He was very frustrated. The, the, basically, the guy stopped after the first mile, and the, the young man continued. Um, wow. He didn't finish, Without a guide? Yeah. Wow. Now, again, he had some sight. He was sure. like Marla Runyon. Right. Um, he did run, um, but yeah, so it wasn't ideal, but he did run, and the reality is he didn't have a guy burn. But again, that's in the minority, and what I learned later is, and I, it was innocent, but I think um, they had solicited some of the local runners, and they're saying, hey, do you want to guide a blind runner? And they're like, oh, that's great, I can guide a blind runner. <laughs> but I don't think they talked about what the pace was going to be. And right. So, but again... So I, that, to me, was a good lesson learned, though. Um, I would never ask, you know, a sprinter to guide me in a long race. You know, it's just like um, it wouldn't be fair, um, you know, to, to go to a, a distance runner and say, okay, let's run, you know, quarters today or 200. Sure. Um, now, as, I, uh, as my pace is not quite what it was, the good news is I have more people that I can, <laughs> many more people that I can run right, with. Right. <laughs> Because I'm more of like a, you know, seven, eight-minute right. miler now. Um, but that's a great question because you're right. And just, just like for any runner, um, you want to run with someone that you're at an appropriate, you know, pacing level. Um, so just like other athletes. But you're right. It should be a conscious choice. And, you know, occasionally, because it is, it is 
a, a little more of a responsibility for sure, um, but I, I try to set them at ease. Um, you know, usually we would never compete in a race until we've run on, you know, in, in training several times, and that also helps just to kind of get used to it. And I think most folks, once they've done it, they realize, wow, it's not as not as hard as I thought it was. Um, but again, a, a lot of it is just by setting the, the, the expectations. And if there are people that want to get involved guiding runners, how do they do that? Okay, that's a great question. That's, um, so there's a few ways. Um, w- one way I can do is um, the United States Association of Blind Athletes. Uh, they are always looking for um, individuals. Um, I would be happy to help steer folks in the right direction also. Uh, so if uh, folks express an interest, there's uh, a few ways. One is through the United States Association of Blind Athletes in Colorado Springs. Um, but and also locally here, I, I'd be happy to uh, help get folks sit, you know, set up. I know with the Wilson Bridge half, um, Steve would typically get athletes coming forward and, and offering to be guide runners because, Joanna, the reality is it, that is such, that's the difference between someone being able to compete in a race and not. And, and to me, it's, you know, as I say, I, I feel really fortunate. Um, but, um, and, and I guess thirdly, if, Chris, if, if it's okay, if anyone yeah. ever goes through Pacers, I'll be happy Absolutely, to yeah. You can contact also. us, contact the show, and we can get you in touch with Joe for sure. Um, so, again, for people who are interested in, in um, becoming guides, what what exactly is involved? Like, can you explain, like, what what their their duty would be as a guide runner and, and how the whole, the whole process works? Yes. So that's a great question, Joanna. So as a blind or vision-impaired runner, what we do is we have a tether, that we hold in our hand, uh, and basically what a tether is, it's a, um, you know, kind of like a lanyard uh, that, that usually the, the blind runner holds in their right hand, the, the uh, sighted guide runner holds it in their left hand, and they're just competing together. Um, and also, during the race, um, the guide runner is providing the um, sight, basically the eyes of the blind runner. They're letting the athlete know what's coming up in the race, uh, including turns and things like that. Um, so it is a communication between the, the sighted runner and the blind runner. Gotcha. But you you guys also have vests on, right? That, that... Yes, that, that's great. Yes. So, yes, Wayne. So, yes. So what what we do as one way of, of, of making it uh, very visible, um, usually what will happen is, particularly the bigger races, is the, the blind runner usually will have um, something on their back, sometimes saying vision-impaired runner, blind runner, and then the guide runner typically will have a, a bright bib stating, you know, guide runner. And that helps particularly in some of the larger races. Um, with the, the other runners, they'll, they'll, they'll usually give you a little bit of a wider berth, and they'll, they'll see that there's two of you competing together. Um, like- but yes. Do you have those vests? I mean, as the vision impaired athlete, do, do you have those? Are they provided by the race? Do you so give them to the guy? I mean, yeah. Yes. So I do have, personally, I have some vests that I have. Um, a lot of the bigger races, they like to give you the vests because that way they kind of have the information from the race itself. Um, so most of the bigger races, like, for instance, the California race, um, they will provide the the guide runner bips in the race 
but at the same time, most guide runners, most blind runners, we, we will have um, things that we like to, you know, that we have if, if they need it, you know, for training purposes. Um, because you're right, that's, a big part of it is, particularly a lot of the races, um, you know, it, it helps the other athletes in the race, the other runners, if they're aware if there is a blind runner. or um, So, and, and usually, you know, they may not see the tether, but they, they'll they'll definitely see, right. you know, something, you know, blind runner, vision impaired runner, guide runner, folks can understand that for sure take us back some i mean you, you um you're such a positive guy which is awesome just talking to him yeah, yesterday i mean I say that. <laughs> it's it's really cool i mean uh so take us back when you lost your sight and you know a lot of our listeners have a tough time just you know and we were talking about the heat before you got on just getting yeah. out and running and putting one foot in front of the other um right. you lose your sight and decide to you know, kind of double down and go back into, you know, or get back into running at a right. very competitive, uh, at, a, at a competitive level. Like, take us through that. Like, how was it emotionally? How was it sure. for you? Sure. Well, that's a great question. And it's, a, it's at the core of a lot of issues with individuals with disabilities. And, you know, my, my, my work job, I'm a disability program manager for the Navy. And one thing I always say when I'm working with employees with disabilities, and of course, Many disabilities, mine's are very visible disabilities. There's also a lot of hidden disabilities. Uh, what I'd like to say is I felt very blessed. Um, I had a great mentor in my older brother, uh, Steve Awkward, who ended up, uh, he's a cyclist. He ended up, uh, he lost his sight um, but due to the same condition. But the, the great news is he helped me. I saw a very positive person who went away to college, dated, uh, had great jobs, worked for the state of Virginia. Uh, had a family. I really had no perception in my mind that losing my eyesight uh, was going to be a, a you know a showstopper. Mm -hmm. I really didn't even think about that until I got into my twenties and I started meeting some folks and realizing, wow, this can really be a you no know, can be. It, but um, I guess to to take you back, um, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa at the age of six. Um, now, of course, when I was six, about the only limiter was when it got dark, you know, I had to come in from playing hide-and-go-seek. That was about the extent of night blind. Um, I was able to, to play baseball, football, and basketball really up until high school. Um, what happened was, um, I guess the good news about it is, um, even though I had this condition, retinitis pigmentosa, my central vision was, was very good, and I could see straight ahead um, really until I, in my mid-teens. Um, so, I really had to kind of think it through. Um, I, I can remember the last time I played baseball. I was um, about 13. We were on a you know, really good team. I was playing center field. Um, it was getting dark. You know, a ball came into me. Um, and the ball landed about five feet behind me. I didn't see it the whole way. You just way. couldn't I see it, right. See it. Wow. And, and what I had done beforehand was my... I would kind of let the right and left fielder know, just yell out if it's coming my way, just kind of yell out, 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 3 o'clock. <laughs> right. And we did that, but this time it, it just, it, that didn't work out. But the reality was uh, I came off the field and the coach said, hey, son, you didn't see the ball, did you? I said, no, I didn't see it at all. So that was really the, the last day that I, that I played um, competitive, you know, baseball and football. And team sports, right? Team sports uh, with with the ball with right. the ball moving. That's the key. 
Um, but I guess the, the good news is what I really realized when I did some soul searching is the reason that I had had success with those sports was because I, I could run. You know, I, I, I like to run, you know, I, was, I guess I was blessed with, you know, being able to run quickly and, and I didn't, you know, I could run distance too. So I, that's when I, I started running competitively at, locally at Gonzaga High School with cross country and track and I ran cross country in, in college at Loyola in Baltimore and wrestled. Um, it, it was what I always say to folks with disabilities or, or, or anyone with however, I really, really believe um, if you'll go out there and, and do it, and, and obviously with Pacers and all that, that you folks are doing, uh, it's a great running community. And, you know, one of my sayings is people go out of their way to help someone who is trying to help themselves. And I always feel that. I've, I've been really, really fortunate. Um, I've had great support. We mentioned the guide runners earlier. Um, I, I've been able to get into races um, when, you know, they allow me to start up at the, the start line, mm-hmm. uh, possibly a preferred start like the wheelchairs. Uh, for a guide runner, for a blind runner, that's really big because the, the most challenging thing is, and particularly for the guide, negotiating, a, you know, a very congested field. Um, so, but, um, so it, what happened was as I've lost my sight, I, I transitioned into running, um, you know, as, as a sight impaired runner, but I, again, I was fortunate enough that I could, could still do that as I got into my late twenties. Um, and I was getting closer to starting to lose more of my sight. Um, I, I did have cataract surgery, which bought me some more time, but the reality was I, I was, in the stages of, of gradually losing the balance of my sight. And again, um, fortunately, that's when I found out about the United States Association of Blind Athletes out in Colorado Springs, and then I learned about the United States Paralympics. So Paralympics is for um, athletes with uh, physical challenges. There's three. Of course, you've got the Olympics, of which you know Matt Centrowitz and many have competed. Right. The Paralympics which is always held in the host city uh, immediately following the Olympics, and that's for physically challenged athletes. So basically, um, we were talking yesterday that what's really exciting about the Paralympics, you're competing within athletes with the same disability. There's three vision categories. Basically, whoever wins the 400 meters or the, the mile that day, they were the fastest runner. Um, so it's the, the ultimate level playing field. And so, so in in the so take us to to, to Athens. Um, yeah. So you're not competing against uh, guys who've had amputated legs or anything like that. That's correct. Okay, that's correct. So what you're doing, um, you are competing against. Uh, and, and of course, you bring up a, a great point there. Um, and there's a lot of great amputee athletes yeah. who do. You know, they would. You would compete against, uh, you know, above the knee, below the knee amputee. Um, there's three levels of vision. The one, which is basically light perception only, which is what I am right now, basically blind or light perception. A B2 athlete has a little more vision. Um, they don't have to, but they usually run with the guy just because they don't have much vision. Would that uh, be B- someone like Marla Runyon, who a lot, maybe a lot of our listeners so, might so know? So Marla Runyon was a, was a B3. Okay. Um, basically, a B3 has more vision, but usually not 
quite enough vision to be able to drive the vehicle. Okay. Uh, in Marla's case, and I got to meet Marla some in 96. She's a phenomenal athlete. Um, and uh, she, her situation, she had very good peripheral and night vision. However, um, she was around 2,200 to 2,400, so very, very uh, near vision. But three athlete, obviously, she was very dominant in the Paralympics and then, of course, went on to do extremely well in the Olympics. But, yes, she's a great example of a three-athlete. Um, basically, you have more vision. Now, B3 can, does not run with a guide, cannot run with a guide, though they wouldn't have enough sight to, for instance, you know, drive a car. Gotcha. So, again, it's, 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 it's a very level playing field. Um, when I'm competing uh, in some of the bigger races, um, like the California International Marathon or the Wilson Bridge Half, you're also competing within the same vision category which again is a, a great equalizer. So back to the so back to the the Olympic uh, the Paralympics. So yeah. y- you could compete in, in there isn't as many events, right? So what did you ultimately compete right. in? Right. So so it's in some ways it's similar to the Olympics, um, but the the way it differs in um, they do have international standards. Uh, they're based on what the world records are for each race, and then. Um, they further limit it, or depends on how many competitive athletes throughout the world are competitive in those different distances. So my strong suit is more the 400, 800, 1500. Mm-hmm. Um, for 2004 in Athens, I was fully expecting to try to make the team in, in those events. Um, I narrowly missed the, the standard for the 400 was 5630 was the standard, and I. Steve Miriam and I ran a 56.39. We got close, but wow. not quite. <laughs> I was I was fortunate in that I had run a um, like a 24.16 in the 200 on a you know a beautiful great day. We had great competition, um, so I, I I had hit that um, on a uh, track in, in uh, DC at one of the local high schools. So I actually made the team in the 200. Um, so I ended up competing in the 200 meters. And then I was the third leg of our United States um, four by one hundred meter relay. So, so you ran twenty four. Just I just want to reiterate this: you ran twenty four seconds in the two hundred with with a I, with a guide. I, I mean, <laughs> that guide I, I, obviously now, now, has got to be fast. Well, yes, but again, I mean, I was very blessed um, to have someone um, you know with me, um, and you know. It, through the training and things like that, and just turned out to be a you know a, a, a great day for me mm-hmm. in a in a competitive race where we had a good fast field, so that does help for sure. Uh, and then also you ran fifty six seconds. I mean, I, I I think a lot of our listeners are more distance runners, so four hundred meters people understand fifty six seconds right. is is, is right. moving around the track. Um, it, yes, now I, you know that was in two thousand four. Sure, I will tell you. I, I won't be able to run that today, <laughs> but, right. um, you know, when, with the training, but, um, so how did you yeah. ultimately, how did you guys ultimately do in your relay and, in, in, in your, your, your race in, in so, Athens? So, yes. So, um, so I, I did compete in the, um, the 200 meter open in the B1 category. Okay. Um, I ran uh, a strong race. Um, I, I did not advance to the final, mm-hmm. to the final four, but I ran a competitive race. I was second in my heat, 
and did not advance to the final. Um, we competed in the 4 by 100 meter, um, and we took uh, second overall in our heat, and um, we finished uh, just out of the medal category. Wow. We finished uh, fourth. So oh. I, I guess oh. it, it was a great experience. I mean, obviously, um, all of us hoped to, to end up with a medal, um, and that was a that was a uh, you know a, a, a kind of a bitter pill. But at the same time, it was a tremendous experience, and you know the, the young men that I had the opportunity to run with. Um, very similar to the Olympics, you stay in the Olympic Village. Um, wow. Our apartment there in Athens, it was all the other uh, sprinters and their guides. So we all stayed together, and we really bonded. And most of them were uh, young men and very, very um, dedicated you know, to their country. And um, it was interesting because we, uh, we were kind of walking around the track there after the the, uh, our final event, and you know, folks kind of cheering for the different countries, and um, the guys like, gosh, you know, they they felt bad, you know, for me, saying, "Hey, I'm sorry, we really wanted to win you a medal." As well, hey, gosh, I was just so happy to be a part of the experience. It's just phenomenal. Um, it was one of my lifelong goals. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it sounds like an always, experience of a yeah. lifetime, man. <laughs> I've been to Olympics. Uh, I, I can't imagine competing. Uh, yeah. Just, just incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. So you obviously have to have a, you know, you, we've talked about your guide runners. We've talked about how supportive Steve Nierman is, has been to you. Um, you've also trained with, with high schools and even over at AU with uh, Matt Sensiewicz, right? That's right, Coach Sensiewicz, absolutely. He's, um, so again, it's, it's particularly for a individual with disability, blind runner, having that link in is so essential. Um, the way I always like to say it, it's, you know, for, for many of us, and when I was younger, you know, if I was going to do my intervals, I mean, I could just go to the track and start running, but we can't do that. You know, we have to kind of plan it out, um, figure out, you know, who we can compete with, when we can compete. So, but yes, I've been very fortunate. Um, when I, going up to um, the Athens Paralympics, I, I trained with, with two teams, um, high school teams, Walter Johnson here in Bethesda, which is our, our local team, mm-hmm. and then um, Eleanor Roosevelt, um, some of you may know Larry Colbert, he's a legend yeah. you know, in running, he, he was the head coach there, sure. he also uh, allowed me to train with his uh, young athletes, and it really helped, and that's one of the reasons I was able to run competitive times, because of course, you know, for a high school athlete to run a, a, a 24 or 23 in a 200 or mid-50s, they can, they can pull that out pretty, pretty well, so I that was the good news. Still relatively competitive, though, Joe. I mean, for, for those high school athletes, I mean, you know, they're not going to make nationals running that for the men, but, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty – I mean, this isn't going to be your – this is going to be varsity-level guys, for sure, just that, for some context for our, our listeners. I, you're right, and I, and, I, and I did strategically. I trained with, you know, two of the stronger programs, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt sure. for many years with Larry Colbert and then Walter Johnson, you know, with really strong programs and – you know, very positive program. So that that did help. You're absolutely right um, doing that. And again, I was very fortunate to be a part of, of their experiences. And then Matt Sensiewicz. I mean, some 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 of his athletes so, might not say he's a positive guy, but I think he's a pretty positive. He's a great motivator. He is absolutely. Coach is a great motivator. Yeah. Yes. No, I. 
he it's similar, and this is more recently, um, uh, just within the last few years, I've as I continue to compete locally. You know, as we all know, you know that the only way to stay competitive is you have to train, you know, competitively. And um, I, I reached out to Coach Centrowitz. He's been, you know, very uh, open to me, allowing me to train some of his track athletes, and even made an offer to if I'd like to compete in the train in the fall with sure. with with his cross country athletes. And I have taken him up on that, uh, you know, on several occasions, and, and hope to do that in the future. It's fantastic. Well, you have, um, you, you live, which is awesome. I mean, you live a normal life. You've got your job over at, uh, you, you know, the, the Navy. You, the Navy Yard, did you say? Yes, that's right. I work for the Naval Sea System Command at the Washington Navy Yard there, right? Um, 6 and M Street Southeast, right near the uh, Yeah, right, actually National right, 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 right near Nationals Park, right by right. Pacers Running right, near right your, there. Uh, yeah, Pacers, I believe. Yep, yeah, yep. Um, and you got three kids. So, I mean, you're living this normal life, which is fantastic. Um do, do, do you worry about your, your kids having the same degenerative uh, uh, sight problems that you had? Sure. So that's a great question. So I, so I was diagnosed at the NIH. Um, our children have been tested. Um, fortunately, uh, none of them uh, uh, do have the condition. That's great. Uh, just by virtue of having a parent, they would be a carrier, although being a carrier is not necessarily, um, uh, they would not necessarily mean that they would ever develop the condition themselves or even pass it on. Um, most of us are carriers of about half a dozen different conditions, I've learned. And in many cases, it, um, it, it you know, there will be, you know, slightly higher chance that they may pass it on. But um, up to this point, um, my children haven't experienced it. My, my wife does not have the condition. Mm-hmm. Um and I, and I guess the way I like to look at this is, uh, for one thing, they are very very comfortable with all individuals, including those with disabilities. They've you know traveled around with me um, on the metro, uh, you know buses, trains, going to different uh, sporting events, track events, and they're they're also used to seeing folks with disabilities, and they're just very very comfortable with that. And I, I'm I'm happy about that. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, so yes, but the reality is obviously if, if if it does turn out that at some point um, that condition will develop. I mean, obviously the the great news is there is they're a lot closer to a cure for the condition than they were, you know, when I was diagnosed, you know, back in the in the late '60s. And you're um, you're you're a super positive role model for them if if, if anything ever did happen too. Um, well, and, and what is your, I mean, do you have like, is this part of what you want to be? Is it your mission to, you know, to champion this cause? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of, I, I guess I would say my, my, my big cause, um, if, if I'd had to say my personal passion is I would like particularly individuals with disabilities and targeted some of the more significant disabilities, um, Sadly, the, the unemployment rate for those with, with targeted disabilities, which are the more serious, is uh, about 70% in the United States of America in 2017, which is, which is a very sad state of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the part that's even more sad is if I asked you, you know, in 1991, right before they passed the Americans with Disabilities Act, what was it? It was about the same. So now, what has happened, 
folks like myself that were fortunate to have jobs, um, once you have jobs, you're, there might be opportunities and things like that. But I'd like to think of it a little bigger situation. Um, I've always been that fortunate 30% that have always had jobs and I've had, you know, good competitive jobs. But the other 70% that, that don't have jobs, they're, I'm no more intelligent than right. any of them. Right. We're all the same. Sadly, what has occurred is in some situations that the individual with disability may have listened to a, maybe a well-intentioned parent, maybe a counselor, maybe a teacher, maybe, maybe their own inner voice saying, you know, if you don't work, and it, it's okay. And, and I, I, I challenge them. I say, if you do work, you will expand your life. You will have a greater life. And the good news is we are making some headway. Um, you know, one of the things um, that we're seeing in the federal government is there's a renewed emphasis in employees with disabilities moving forward. Um, one way we were seeing that is with our wounded warriors coming back. Um, we actually have individuals in the military now, still active duty, that are blind, hmm. that have amputees, uh, hearing impairments. That would have been unheard of, you know, coming back from Vietnam. Uh, that just did not happen. If you acquired a disability in Vietnam, they helped you every way you could to become a private citizen, you know. And but it's 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 a new dynamic now. So we're trying to take that positive energy and help others because the reality is, um, you know, the the reason I've been able to have success is because I have had, you know, a good job. I was able to marry and have three children and get to compete. But a lot of that wouldn't have happened if I didn't have a a job that I was able to land. But um, so I, I would say that's one of my passions, and I think one way of showing that, it's one thing to verbalize it, but if you go out and in the next time, you know, for your list when you're in races, I'm sure if you look around in the race, you'll see people that inspire you. And I think, you know, seeing a blind runner, that's inspirational. Sometimes I see an older runner, that inspires me. Sometimes, you know, I see a, a woman, you know, in her second or third trimester, right, I mean, right. those inspire me. And and I think it's a kind of a two-way street. So um, I, I, I do think one way of individual disabilities, you can show that you're competitive is in the running community. And it, it's helped me, you know, professionally. They'll, they'll say, you know, hey, I saw you at the race. And, you know, then we... So it's a good equalizer, and particularly in the military, um, they get that. Folks that take care of themselves physically, usually, you know, they're saying, well, if that's the case, then likely they'll probably also be in a favorable position to do well for us, you know, professionally. No doubt, man. I think that's a, it's a great point, and I think running has really uh, obviously been such a huge, huge part of, of your continued success and through in just in your entire life. And I think all of us see that, uh, running is just such a positive impact, whether you're visually impaired, whether you're fully able, anything. So, you know, um, I think that's a good message. Um, what is, what is next for you? I know, I know you've got, uh, the, the marathon this, this, this winter, what other races are on the calendar for you, Joe? So, so what I plan to do, um, over the summer, I, I do want to compete in um, 
some of the local five and ten Ks. Um, I'm, I'm registered. Uh, I'll be competing in the Wilson Bridge Half in October, and um, likely will compete in the um, the California Marathon, which is in December. Um, I mean, likely, um, I, I did have an opportunity recently to run a, a 5K up at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, which is where my son uh, goes to school. And uh, my daughter, uh, Michelle, my son Joe and I all ran on together. Nice. Uh, so I, I, I'm hoping to find a couple of um, vocal races, um, likely some of the possibly the Pacers races and the uh, Montgomery County Roadrunners. Yep. Event. Yeah, um, they put on great races, and we definitely welcome you at uh, any of our our Pacers races this uh, this summer and this fall for sure. Uh, well, I appreciate it. Well, Joe, uh, it's been it's been great having you join us. I really appreciate your time. Um, really inspiring story. Uh, so, really, really appreciate you joining us. Oh, well, Chris, I appreciate and Joanna, William, Docs, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of your experience and. Um, you know, you've, you've been doing this for about two years now, so it's you've got a great yeah. continuing with this. And, uh, thanks. Thanks, because it's, it's great for the community also. Thank you. Yeah, we really, really appreciate those kind words. All right, that's Joe Awkward. He is a local visually impaired runner, really inspiring story. He joined us here on Pace Nation. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the program, and thanks again to Joe Awkward for joining us. He was the uh, visually impaired local runner who, super inspiring guy. I can't, I, I can't even imagine having vision and then losing I know, it. I know. And staying so positive. What a good guy, you know? Seriously. Uh, I, I don't know if I could be that positive either. Maybe Doc's good. Doc's would be positive about it. He's Mr. Positivity. <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment from Docs. Uh, but thanks again to Joe. Um, cool story. Awesome that they, he had the opportunity to, to compete in the Athens Paralympics. It's so cool to be over there and experience it like all the other Olymp- Olympians did. Um, pretty cool. And thanks again to Charlie Band for helping us set that up. Um, or should I say hat tip? HT, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was halter top. <laughs> yes, uh, I think you got to listen to the halftime. <laughs> I think you got to mm-hmm. listen to the tweets episode uh, to understand where you're going. For. Uh, who said that on the tweets episode? I think that's midpack biped. Midpack. All right, I thought it was Michael P. Miller. I don't know. Yeah, all right, midpack. Um, We've got a fan at the window, by yeah, the way. Yeah, we do. Sorry. I'm distracted here. Uh, yeah, so thanks again to Joe. Thanks again to Charlie for setting that up. Really cool story. Finally, why would we be distracted by fans at the window? It's constant. <laughs> That's a normal it's nonstop. thing. It's yeah. Normal thing. Um, I did want to get into a couple stories, if you guys will let me uh, kind of uh, use you guys as the platform. Hilarious <laughs> that you're asking for our permission. I think, yeah. I think I say this every other week. There's 0% chance that we have any other answer other than yeah. go ahead. All right. Weird story and then pretty traumatic story for me. Uh, everything all is, ends ends well, uh, all ended well. But weird story okay. is last week I got a uh, package from Amazon. 
mm-hmm. which is very weird. Not weird. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty normal. Mm. Uh, so it w- how many how many packages uh, a day or a week would you say you get from Amazon? I would say, and I hate to admit this, I would say mm-hmm. probably a half dozen. Yeah, you got. You as seem a, like you're an Amazon. Yeah, yeah. As, a re- as a retailer who uh, makes his living on brick and mortar, yeah, about a half dozen. But usually they're addressed to Julie. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But this week, one was addressed to me. So mm-hmm. it was a book. A book. Yeah. Obviously a mistake. <laughs> well, it had my name on it, and uh, the book is uh, Law of Attraction. And it's the science of attracting more of what you want and less of what you don't. Where, who Did somebody send this to you? I thought I'd figure it out. I think it was two weeks ago I got it. I, I thought I'd figure it out by now. But now I've got to uh, crowdsource and figure mm-hmm. out who the heck sent this to me. Mm-hmm. Well, it has to be somebody who knows your address. <laughs> right, exactly. Which is, But not somebody that knows that you're still on book number two of the year. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I, I have finished book number two. I finished book number two. Right. I'm on to, on to the third. I'm picking books that are a lot uh-huh. shorter. Oh, well, the good thing is... What's the third book? Um, Long pause. Yeah. Uh, Working hard on that one. Yeah. You know, it's something that C.T. McGee gave me. Um, uh-huh. And you I can't remember what it was. You're reading it. Uh, so you're on I haven't started it yet. Oh, you haven't started it yet. Well, you... Okay. Well, that we were confused because you said you're on your third book. Right. <laughs> uh, it is March, uh, March 2017. So you're on pace. Yeah. Well, it is May. Okay. Fine. Oh. Uh, um, but I, I just just like clockwork. Here's the Coors Light truck again. Right. This yeah. thing always delivers when we're recording. Um. Anyway, back to this. Back book. to the book. I just think it was an odd gift, odd random gift. It's some a lot of it. It's like about attracting your ideal mate i think you've already done that <laughs> i mean i i know there's other stuff in it there's other you know topics increase your wealth bring more customers clients and referrals into your business life maybe that's what they were going for yeah but the first headline is attract your ideal mate maybe somebody read the book and thought that there are some things in there that could help you and maybe you should read the book okay. before you judge it by its cover oh <laughs> I'm just hoping Julie didn't send me the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that was odd. But it, get, let make yourself known if you've sent me this book. Hey, I'm maybe, over the, the the cat and mouse game. Maybe of trying to figure out what the, who sent it. Maybe Julie did send it to you, and maybe there's some things in that book that you should be doing uh, to appreciate her more. Oh, okay, perhaps on. on page 33 you'll see. <laughs> Don't call so, out wife on podcast. <laughs> So it was Docs. I was thinking it might be Docs, but he's he's kept a pretty good poker face. Uh, but I, I am I, I did want to ask the Pace the Nation Nation because mm-hmm. I have talked about wanting to read more books this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they would find my home address, but uh, the white pages. Um, yeah, I don't think it's that hard. The white pages exist. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's digital now. I, so I, I guess somebody did find Joanna's address and found her car. So. Also true. Yeah. So I guess it's not that hard. Um, so, anyways, make yourself known. You can either, you know, email me if you don't want it to be known publicly who you are, uh, or you can just tweet me. Let me know. What if this was just some random mistake that, like, just happened? It had my name on it, though. Yeah, but what if it just happened at the Amazon warehouse that they just put the wrong sticker on the wrong box? (sighs) Maybe. Maybe it is. And and somebody else has... uh, uh, 
five stages of sports grief. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, maybe you're right. I don't know. Uh, but I, I, it is starting to annoy me that I haven't gotten to the bottom of it. So. Uh-huh. All right. The other personal story, I'll make it quick. Uh, traumatic. That, traumatic that I'll, I'll share uh, this week. You know, as you guys know and the audience knows, uh, I stay home a lot with James, uh, which is great. Uh, you know, he's become a pretty active eight-month-old. Eight mm-hmm. So you got to be a little bit more aware you got to be a little bit more on top of them these days, right? So, oh my God, a few days ago, I'm so worried about this yes, story. Yeah. A few days ago, um, I yeah. was hoping that the dr- traumatic story wouldn't involve James, yeah. but it yeah. seems like yeah. it does. So, oh, a few no. few day, few days ago, uh, he was really tired, sitting on his little area where we have, you know, the soft uh, blanket and pad underneath, but on the edge of that is our hardwood floor. Uh-huh. So he's just sitting there and I think, and I, and I go to the kitchen and I think he just like falls asleep sitting up and then just falls down like Does a, a Peter Pan swan dive. Right. Right on his head. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like a bowling pin. Well, not quite like a bowling pin. I'll, right. Because the bowling pins are, are uh, heavier on the bottom. <laughs> right. Right. And that kid true. is all <laughs> noggin. Yeah, he is. Uh, <laughs> so he falls on his head, tiny little bump. Not a big deal. Really mm-hmm. traumatic, though. Like, one of the first times where I'm like, wow, this is a huge responsibility. Eight I mean, months in, folks. Eight months in. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe I botched this. Uh, I felt so awful. I mean, just like gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm putting ice on it. He's not a big fan of the ice. Crying, crying, yeah. crying. But he's pretty much okay. Just a minor bump. You know, it happens to little little kids. So... Uh, Julie comes home. We call the uh, we call the pediatrician. He's uh-huh. like, ah, eh, probably not a big deal. He's probably okay. No big deal. You just got to be very careful. And I said, all right, I'm going to be very careful. The next day, oh I was going to say it doesn't yeah. sound like the end of the story, does it, Julie? No. The next day, mm-hmm. I'm with James again. Julie's at work again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's starting to like pull himself up. So this time, not only is he just sitting. But he's pulling himself up, and I'm I'm like on on him, but I'm like encouraging him pulling himself up because you know I want him to right. try new stuff and right. learn how to stand and pulls himself up, and then more like a bowling pin this time, except for his head. You know, it would be like an upside down bowling pin uh-huh. falls smack on his head. This is from a further... You're not close enough to catch him? I wasn't close enough. I think I was grabbing like my camera or something to take this cute picture. <laughs> you were... Oh, no. I, I cannot tell you. It was one of the worst moments of my life. So James is like wailing now. Yeah. Bigger yeah. bump on his head. Yeah. Like not golf ball size bump, but you know, like uh, there's a bump. Uh, Julie's not there. I am like... Ping pong ball? Yeah, <laughs> ping pong ball. Okay, um, I'll show I'll show you a picture. I mean, I, well, you did get the picture. I mean, so it, yeah. well, no, no, no. This I is mean, you later. did have I the camera out to take I a picture, so I I mean, at least you got the shot. I didn't immediately take the picture. And but, the good thing about the iPhone Seven is that that the picture is like an animated picture now. <laughs> no, so I'm showing the, the guys the picture now. Um, it's just basically what it is. It's bumps. It's, it's pictures of bumps, and then there's also a kid. <laughs> no. It's not a kid with no. a bump. It's a bump with a kid. Uh, no, it's it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I mean, you can see it's 
definitely noticeable. In He's the smiling in the picture. He least. is smiling in the picture. Uh, so Julie's out there. I immediately call my mom like hysterical. I'm yeah. like, I cannot believe this happened two days in a row. Uh-huh. She comes over, um, you know, helps kind of put ice on it. Uh, he never loses consciousness. And that was one of the things the doctor said the day yeah. before. Anyway, so I'm like, my mom said, yeah, he's fine. Yeah. You know, my mom's had four kids, so she probably mm-hmm. gone through this uh, probably many times with us. But I say we're taking him to the pediatrician. So I don't call Julie because she would be it should on her worry. way home. She'll She'd be worry. on her way home. So take him over to the pediatrician. And uh, he's like, so eventually he, we get to see him. And he says, yeah, I understand you. Um, you know, he bumped his head last night. I understand being a first-time parent, you'd want to... Uh, just make sure. I'm like, uh, no, doc. It actually happened again this morning. <laughs> and so at that point, he's like, what? Wow. He's like, well, I'm glad you didn't take him to the emergency room because I felt like, I mean, he didn't say this, but he would be like, he was like, child services basically be called. Yeah. If, if, if you're like, yeah, my kid bumped his head two days in a row. Right. Two days in a row. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you think that following that advice by, by opening up on a public podcast, <laughs> right. child services is not going to be, well, now uh, they know, now they get the now whole they story. They need the yeah. Whole, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, they need some context. If I walk into the emergency room and say, my kid has bumped his head twice in a row, uh-huh. uh, they would def- yeah. definitely have some concerns. So the, the pediatrician is, says, you know, it's, it's, you, you gotta be careful. He's like, you, you've got it. You know, he gives me a, put the phone down. He, he needs, don't take he pictures. Gives me, he gives me, he gives me an, a, a, an appropriate, um, sort of tongue lashing, not yeah. tongue lashing, but Good. you know, uh, and then says, you know, it happens though. He's it fine. Does happen. You're right. He's fine. He checked it, checked him out. Um, he's fine. So just when they're six months to two years old, you have to be all over them. Yes, correct. Um, but it's, there, there is another side of that, too. It's yeah. like first child. Uh, you, you're saying your mom had four kids. Right. But by the time John was a kid, he was probably <laughs> like doing backflips off the stairs. Right, right. And, and, and you're just like, meh. Yeah, put some you dirt know. on it. I mean, there is, there is truth to that. <laughs> like the first kid, you, you're like hovering helicopter. That, that and then, is true. Uh, kids, kids are resilient. Yeah. Um, but you, you do have to step oh, it up. Yeah. yeah. So no, no doubt. Let's, uh, yeah. What it, read that book, <laughs> right, right. uh, that self-help book, whatever you need to <laughs> right, do, right. but step it up. Right. I, I agree. Thank you, docs. I do need to step mm-hmm. it up. You, you, you're right. I am taking this very seriously. Not look, that I wasn't taking it seriously now before the kids, kids start like becoming independent when they're about, you know, what? 10 years old, 12 yeah. years old, something like that. So, you know, the whole thing about you have to pay attention to them until they're 18, that's not true. Yeah. But you, you do have to really, like, look out for them for yeah. the next couple of years. At least two yeah. years. So, yeah. so uh, hopefully the head, uh, his head will um, recover by Sunday. Uh, we've got a photo shoot um, for um, a Father's Day promotion we're doing. So this was uh, one of James's big photo shoots. Um, we're going to try to have former guest uh, Dixon Mercer, yeah. Kieran O'Connor, oh. uh, and me, all three of us with our kids. Uh-huh. Um, you guys ho- going to compare bumps? <laughs> Hopefully they don't have big welts on their kids' foreheads. I mean, you, you should get Michael P. Miller to Photoshop that in at the, <laughs> afterwards. Hey, great so call. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. When Steve takes the picture, Michael, we're going to need your help. 
All right, so that's off my chest. Uh, Joanna, you had a personal story since we've all shared one in the last couple episodes. Uh, ours, ours have not been that good. Hopefully, yours is a little bit better. Doc's right. window's broken. My kid's head's busted. Um, you got something I, I positive? Think comparatively, for us? actually, I think mine's not bad at all. <laughs> right, right. Uh, what do you got for us, Joanna? I really don't have anything like that exciting. Okay. Um, I just finally took Luigi to the vet for the first time in a couple years. So mm. when I was growing up, we like never took our animals to the vet. Yeah, it's it's somewhat of a racket. Yeah. I'll be honest. I love the Clarendon. Um, uh, don't advertise. Yeah, that's don't right. I was gonna, I was gonna give their name, but I paused because yeah. yeah, the vet that we take them to, but because it, it, well, every time we go, every six months. Oh, I don't go every six months. I try to go once a year, and I yeah. didn't go last year because it's so expensive. And it all they—they they literally spend like five minutes. They like they take his temperature, they touch him, and they're like, oh, he's a great dog. He's in perfect health. And I'm like, yeah, I knew that too. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to. And then there's always some shot that they want to oh, give. Oh, of him. course. But but Joanna, you're supposed to go there and find out uh, what kind of teeth he has. Right. Exactly. Like, do oh, I need I my? Forgot to ask. Yeah. Oh my God, you just threw your money away. Uh, well, I did. So I'm concerned about the tartar buildup. <laughs> On his teeth, so I did uh-huh. ask about getting his teeth cleaned, and yeah. it would be nine hundred and ninety-five dollars. It's insane. So I, he's not I, getting. I, his I'll teeth. do it for nine hundred and ninety dollars. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, he's not. Brush getting. his teeth. I'll do that too. I'll do it for uh, nine hundred. Well, so he has a toothbrush. <laughs> he does have a toothbrush. Yeah, but um, he doesn't have opposable thumbs. Yeah. Right. And so he doesn't love when I brush his teeth. So I like had kind of given up on it a few years ago and I should have been a little bit more diligent because now like unless I like use my nail, I'm not going to get that plaque off. Well, I, I, I hate to be morbid here, but I've thought about this actually. Um, dogs live, you know, 15 years. Yeah. Don't, I'm hoping I get 15 out of Luigi. teeth last more than 15 years? No. Whether you brush them or not? Like well, we have a, to a, brush and floss and mouthwash because we're going to live longer than 15 years right at least this is one of my theories well i think it depends on the dog yeah you know i think sometimes some of their their teeth can get uh more plaque buildup or whatever like luigi's mouth is in like pretty good health yeah so i'm not too concerned about it but i also think that there's some truth to like dogs teeth are different than ours mm. so 15 years for them is not know, much maybe 80 for us right I don't know. okay i don't know what the correlation is there. right um, wow. But Luigi, um, for all of my um, annoyance at having to take him to the vet, they just called me this morning because one of his uh, tick panels came back suspicious. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah. So he <sighs> might have some sort of tick-borne disease. Like, oh, man. Like Lyme disease? Uh, it's not It's not Lyme. His Lyme was negative, but it was something mm-hmm. that has to do with ticks. And so uh, I didn't pick up my phone, of course. So this is a message. And oh. the vet asked me um, if he'd been anywhere recently where maybe he could have picked up a tick like obviously he is like we're always in, yeah we're in right. the woods all the time and then she tells me that um if he's been particularly lethargic lately like he's a very lethargic dog mm-hmm. he's always sleeping um and then she's like and check him over to see if you see any bruises on his skin and i was like he's a dog yeah bruises how do i get to his skin do i shave him no I, that's cruel I, shaving dogs <laughs> is it bad that i think immediately when they say they, he's got this like random affliction that I'm thinking, hmm, are they just trying to ring the register? <laughs> I mean, that's immediately what I thought. I, I don't think that they're trying to ring the register. Yeah. I think that's that's a okay. cause and effect type thing. Okay. All right. Yeah, and I, I do think that the, that they do genuinely care about Luigi, but I I think that he's fine. Yeah. 
So I think I'm you, gonna, look, you brought him in the studio today. He seems fine. Yeah. So I'm going to monitor it. We'll see if, if anything happens. Although he's been sleeping the whole time. That's <laughs> what he does. <laughs> That's his thing. Docs, you've had him for uh, a period of time. You, yeah. I, I would like you to further find out about this tick thing and find out if it's contagious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we we got enough going on in the Doc's Manor that you don't need ticks mm-hmm. over there as well. Next Although time Luigi I'll be stays. honest, uh, uh, having having an affliction that that made me sleep more would not be <laughs> That's the worst true. thing. That is very true. Um, I but love sleeping. Also on the topic of Luigi, so um, this past Tuesday was my season opener for the best season of the year, which of course is rosé season. Mm. So Luigi came with me to Dacha Beer Garden, and they allow dogs in there. So nice. uh, a lot of people really like Luigi, and one guy even told me that Luigi is the cutest dog that he's seen in two years. Wow, two, that's really oddly specific, right? That's I was like, who is the dog that you saw two years ago? Yeah, but, did you ask that? You should have asked that. No, don't ask. Just, like he's looking for a follow up question yeah. when he's oh, making a statement like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Then you just say thank you. Is that is that what is that how they do pickup lines these days, man? <laughs> Maybe I'll read the book and find out. Yeah, it, actually, the way it works today is sup. Sup is that it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, kids these days. All right. Well, those are good personal updates. Appreciate um, that. And also, we did not talk about the capital challenge. Oh, okay. So, so we, running related. Oh, that's running right. Running related. So we have a little piece of running news, which Very is passed. Good. So everybody yeah. missed out on this. But the capital challenge happens on Capitol Hill every year, and um, the house and senate offices and some of the other government like media and stuff they race against each other in a 5k and guess who was there this year well i know kellen sung was there kellen was there yeah but it wasn't Ke- but some- it wasn't him that was the the person you're thinking of that's the celebrity you're thinking of exactly hmm who would be kobe jones it was a it was a guy kobe jones kobe jones a random a, soccer no, player he was at rfk on tuesday night in the capital challenge Soccer okay. game. Okay. Ben Olsen played. Um, I'm searching Twitter for it right now. I'm sorry. I'm cheating. I I, uh, I saw that Kellen was there, and my guess is Meb. This individual uh, has um, has uh, run in the Olympics. Run in the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. Has brought hardware home from the Olympics. Uh, uh, Emma Coburn. No, is from a is from a district that has a very big running culture. Kara Goucher. Close, no. Adam Goucher. <laughs> it's it is a guy. Mm. I can't find it on Twitter. Uh, Matthew it's not on Twitter. No. Galen Rupp. Galen Rupp was there. Galen wow. Rupp ran with Earl Blumenauer, whose district who's is where. Ni- Come on, man! <laughs> it's he's a he's a congressman from Oregon. His district is where the Nike headquarters is. All right, adding it to the list of things that people don't know or shouldn't know. <laughs> when we well, ask our man on the street. When, mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna ask Earl Bloomberg. Blumenauer. Blumenauer. Nobody knows who that is. Like oh, it, you, you looked at me like actually, I was a crazy question to ask. Joanna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna side with Farley yeah. on this one. I don't yeah, know thank who you. Earl is. Either. Okay. Well, I guess I really only know Earl Blumenauer because when I worked in the Hill, he was one of my favorite congressmen. He was a big friend of the library, and he's really okay. into biking too. So everybody in in his office has like big bike pins that they wear, okay. and he wears a bow tie and like. Uh, horn room glasses all the time so mm. i just think that he's really cool he doesn't advertise on this show so let's <laughs> stop with he's the gone. earl but he, so his office is very active and their team name is red white and Blumenauer, which is right. also I like great that. that's I like great that. i do like play on words yeah so well they done. they won galen rupp ran with earl and they won oh shocker galen rupp was able to win that race <laughs> 
You're saying he could beat Kellen Song. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Kellen Song is trained with Olympians. Kate Grace, Kim Conley. Come on. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we got some running talk. Um, I, I yeah, did, what'd you go and do that for, Joanne? I did want to talk some um, Ragnar Relay next week, Docs. Um, okay. It is an odd year. Mm-hmm. So um, we should we should be scheduled to run the race, right? You are supposed to sign us up. Okay. Wait, it's in September, right? Right. So isn't sign up soon? Yeah, well, no, we better get on Sign ups are already it. going on. Oh. We better get on it. All right. So uh, that sounds like a firm commitment from you. That's good. I've been telling everybody already that we're doing Ragnar, so okay, you good. better get us a, a, All right, we'll a spot. Get, we'll, we'll, we'll get in that. All right. We'll talk more of that next week. Also, um, there is a 24-hour adventure race coming Friday to Roslyn. Uh, so I want to talk about that next week. It's going to happen this Friday. Uh, anything Arlington running, I like to cover on this show. Mm-hmm. It is the heart of the universe. So we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, currently, the quests are unknown for the challenge, but uh, there's there's teams that will compete for uh, the quests are unknown. A series of challenges across 24 hours that could be anything about uh, fitness or food. With winning mm-hmm. prizes worth up to ten thousand dollars. Fitness or food? What if yeah. they send you to the Italian store Very to eat vague. a sub, a Milano <laughs> sub? Very vague. But I did see that story. I wanted to touch on it. I, when I get more details next week, I'll, I'll let you know. So mm-hmm. relay races and adventure races next week. This podcast, of course, is sponsored by Pacers Running. Pacers Running with five area DC locations. Pacers Running is for every run. We also have. A store in Princeton, New Jersey, 7 Palmer Square. It's getting hot outside. We've got all, everything you need for hydration, you know, warm weather apparel, uh, breathable shoes, anything you'd want to run through the heat and humidity of D.C. or New Jersey. Come by and see us at Pacers Running. So I I just want to say I'm bummed out today. On the way over, I saw that... uh Chris Cornell passed away last night. Oh, that's right. And that's really sad. I'm, totally. I'm, I'm a huge fan, super talented musician. Uh, he was the lead singer for Soundgarden. He did a lot of solo work. He worked with uh, Audio Slave for a few albums. Um, I guess they did a, a show last night. Um, it's it's very shocking, very surprising. In Detroit, he was, he I was think? only 52 years yeah. old. Yeah. So I'm I'm bummed out about that, and I just wanted to share mention that. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, that, and that's like right up your alley of the genre of music you like, Docs. Yeah, um, that I'm, guy is a, that guy was a stud, man. Yeah, he uh, he was right in the center of of the the Seattle music scene yeah. in the in the early '90s, which which I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's uh, it's it's very sad to see him go. It's cr- crazy. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter this morning. I'm glad you mentioned that. All right. Episode number 107 in the books. Thanks again to Joe Awkward for joining us today. On Pace the Nation, he's a local runner, visually impaired. Really cool, inspiring story. Thanks to Charlie Band for helping us out, getting Joe involved in Pace the Nation. All right, great show, guys. Thanks to Joanny Russo. Thanks to William E. Docs. I'm Chris Farley. This is Pace the Nation. We'll see you next week.
So, so at tastenation.com. So yeah. it's, a, it's not your it's Twitter not account. .com. It's not .com, but you, oh, you would find com. it. You would right. Twitter it's, is at pastenation. Yeah. You might have to ask your kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you're right. You are right. 